Hey, so thanks for listening to this podcast, first of all. Um, you might ask eventually after a few episodes, why am I doing this? Well, there's been many times in my past that I've wondered if everything I went through could help somebody or honestly I feel in this generation in this time there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of searching that people look at and that that people are trying to grasp so what makes my story unusual (laughs) I wouldn't really say it's unusual it's just unique it's what shaped myself so tying it all together it's a long rather interesting story I'm 39 years old and at my age most people expect me to have my life together but I don't and a lot of that's because I never thought at my age I'd still be searching for who I am. But this story is about more than that. It's about a journey. And if there's one thing I've learned in the past year, it's that sometimes the journey is more important than the destination. So thanks for downloading this. And hopefully by the end, we'll both know who we are. If I have to start this story, then I have to start at the beginning. And that's even before I was born. My parents, regardless of what you hear in this podcast, I really believe they're good people. Um, They just have their own story. And it's not my place to fully tell their story, but it's my... My, uh, um... It's my duty to give you a little bit of background so you kind of see what shaped a little bit of myself my mom (laughs) god bless her all five foot three of her she had a rough upbringing her dad was an alcoholic and her mom was probably one of the toughest people I ever knew in my life in fact my grandma shaped a more of me than I'll ever give her credit for. My grandma was not only tough, but loving, and she didn't take shit from anybody. <laughs> Some of my earliest memories were hanging out at my grandmother's house for holidays, and I'll be damned if anybody was going to ruin the holiday while grandma was there. She would squelch fights so fast, and anything, any skirmishes, it didn't matter. And she might have been the shortest person in the room, but everybody respected and listened to my grandma. She just had that way. She had that commanding presence that when she walked in the room, you knew that Ruth wasn't in the room. 
So <clears throat> that was kind of the experience of my mom. Now my dad came from a little bit different scenario. That quote unquote apple pie slice of American American life for my dad. Uh, parents really weren't over the top with issues or problems. But my grandpa was kind of a chauvinistic person. He was the old school guy. He was the the guy who believed pro wrestlers and bodybuilders. Even at a young age watching those on TV, he would always point at that TV and go, that's what a real man is, boy. <laughs> a real man. Like bodybuilding and lifting weights and being a pro wrestler created a real man. Those were the options. Those were the things that I saw. Of course, later on down the line, I ended up being neither of those. So at some point, I honestly believed I wasn't a real man. Growing up, my family ended up in an occult. I ended up in therapy with PTSD. And I ended up with a lot of self-identity issues. And I ended up on a 39-year journey of trying to figure out who I am. You know, growing up, we always heard that diaries were for girls and journals were for guys. And I always wanted to chronicle some stuff. But I was never that great at writing things down. It's played with sloppy handwriting and a bigger imagination than it was worth. So I guess this is my attempt to finally start that journal, so to speak. Now... I'm not telling anyone what to do. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not recommending anything. I'm just getting my story down. I'm just putting my story out there. And sure, I'm sure there's people that's going to hate this. And there might even be people that love it. In fact, if you're listening to this, I'm already shocked. Because I never really deemed myself as anyone special or anyone worth listening to. But recently in my life, I have found that I truly have a desire to help people get to a better place. And maybe my story will help you get there. So this is Finding Matthew. <clears throat> At a very young age, I had the typical, what most people would call, the typical 1980s, 1990s life for a kid. Well, let's just say up until about 1987, 88, when I was about six or seven years old. My parents got into church. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, I believe religion has its place. And they went through several different churches while they were searching. Because my parents truly wanted the best for the kids and for their life. And a good sense of morality to go along with that. I mean, who doesn't want their kids being good people? Who doesn't want their kids knowing right from wrong? Who doesn't want their kids to be an example to other people? It's, it's a good fit. 
So, during a time when the Beatles were selling out arenas, there was a man who was selling out arenas as well. But he was doing it with an overhead projector and a dry erase marker. This man was starting an occult. Now, this wasn't a normal occult like most people think. Now, there was no Kool-Aid to drink. There was no self-sacrifice to a comet flying through the sky. This was a guy who just wanted to train your thinking. And he did it through the lens of the Bible. This is a guy who wanted to utter control of your family. And ultimately, utter control of your kids. If you've ever seen the TLC show, 19 and Counting, about the Duggars... If you have, if you've watched that, you probably thought there was something wrong with that family. Well, that's because there was. You see, they were the poster child for the occult I was in. They were the end all, end all of what he wanted for families. You see, he wasn't so concerned about recruiting new people because, I mean, that's not always the easiest route. What you do is you get people, encourage them to have an extreme amount of kids, and you build your occult from the inside. And he was pretty keen on that. I mean, if you're raised in that philosophy, you're going to stay in that philosophy, right? So about eight years old, yeah, we walked right into that occult pretty wholeheartedly. And you might say to yourself, how does somebody get into something like that? Well, you have to be searching. And what were my parents searching for? A better life. They were searching for a better way. In fact, they were searching for a life that wouldn't include their kids turning to alcohol or being that chauvinistic kind of person. They were looking for answers to help us not go through what they went through. And even though there was never alcohol in my house, and my dad, well, he wasn't chauvinistic either. He was actually pretty kind-hearted. And I say was, like he's already died, but he hasn't. He still is a really kind-hearted guy. My dad has a, a love for his grandchildren. He's always been easy to talk to. But he's always held those core beliefs. And that's where a lot of our disagreements get sparked from. When you start getting into places like this, you you end up moving churches a lot because, well, you have to find one that's close to your ideology. And we eventually settled on one. <clears throat> now I'm just a kid from the Midwest. Nothing special. My dad was a blue-collar, hard-working guy. And my mom was the stay-at-home mom. Now, most of my childhood, for at least the first couple of years... I went to school like anybody else, albeit it was more of a private school, it was a Christian school, but I still went to school. Well, all that changed once we entered the occult. We went from going to school to being homeschooled. We went from semi-social exposure to complete isolation. Now, this is all flagged during a time when my grandparents started passing away. I lost both my grandmothers to cancer. 
my grandfather on my mom's died on my mom's side he went <laughs> he died before I was born actually that's not true he died a few months after I was born but obviously I was too young to remember um, this is kind of the backdrop for the beginning of my life once in the occult academics weren't as important as making sure we knew the theological aspect that this guy was peddling his version of the world his version of the Bible his version of morality and his version of right and wrong now I've told you enough about this occult you could probably look it up it's still running today in fact, the guy who, who ran it, well, he's been removed as the head of it. Because if you know anything about the Duggars, when all of that stuff came out, especially about the dad and the son, well, that gave a bunch of young girls the courage to stand up to this leader and start a court case. So, I guess you could say for me, well... This was about the time the Me Too movement happened. And while I will never condone or deny, let's put it that way, the victimization of kids or even women, I do think some good things have come out of that. But I think we have a responsibility to be honest with ourselves and never abuse a scenario. So, it makes it sound like I'm riding both sides of the fence. But one thing I do know is if you take something good, you'll find someone who will abuse it. You'll find someone who will twist it for their, for their own benefit. So that's the backdrop of me. Insert a kid who's vulnerable, who might be slightly overweight, and insert him into a religion into a family, into a church. Now it was just me and my sister for a long time. My parents had the typical American family. One boy, one girl. Until we got into the occult. At that point, my parents started getting, well, for lack of a better word, shamed. Shame that they'd cut God's blessings off. Shame that they didn't have more children. And people would back this up with whatever scripture and Bible verse they could throw at them. Once again, take a good thing and twist it for your own pleasure. Yeah. You see where the kind of example of this is going? Anything can be used for good or bad. My mom got a reversal from when she had her tubes tied at the time. And my parents started having more kids. I went from suddenly the youngest person in the family to, and what I would call a shorter amount of time, the second oldest of seven kids. That's right. I got seven brothers and sisters. Most of my childhood, well, it's pretty much forgettable except for a few major scenarios. What were those major scenarios? Well... 
one of them was just how much this organization could ridicule you for not being their image, their ideal of perfection, their ideal of godliness. Of course, as a kid, being overweight, I was a sinner, a sinner of gluttony, one of the seven deadly sins. <laughs> now imagine as a kid growing up, you go to conferences, training centers, <clears throat> and imagine sitting there in a line, waiting for food, getting denied certain foods because, well, you're a sin. You've indulged in gluttony too much. And then imagine sitting down at a table where people would walk up to you, demand that you chew slowly and count to 30 between each bite, you know, because they're helping you break your sin. These are all things I've experienced. As a kid, that'd mess with your head. At the same time, the premise of this occult was to destroy your self-esteem, ensure that you didn't know what you were doing, that you weren't worth fixing, and then tell you you should fix yourself. Well, that doesn't happen. If you don't, they, if you don't have any idea that you can fix yourself because all you're being told is how broken you are and that you don't have the ability to fix yourself. Well, you're never going to fix yourself. There was other things that happened that I'm not going to go into. Different physical and mental abuses that we went through. But I will say it was not really at the hands of my parents. It was at the hands of the organization. It was at the hands of people who believed they were on the righteous side of God. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of a quote from Gandhi who said that the teachings of Jesus were upright and noble, but it was his people he didn't have any use for. And over the years, I've really come to embrace that. Most of the people who declare themselves Christians use that as a battering ram to beat people over the head. Although, be it, there are very many people who also consider themselves Christians who are absolutely some of the greatest people I've ever met. But on the flip side of that coin, I've met some pretty weird-looking biker guys who are some of the nicest people I've ever met, too. So, in my opinion, whether you're covered in tattoos, ride a motorcycle with leather, or if you're like my neighbor now, who's a preacher, <laughs> yeah, I left in a call, found a house, and I live right next door to a preacher. If you want to consider the irony of that statement. But both those people have a lot in common. They both actually care for people. In fact, if they both rolled up on a house that was on fire and there was a child outside crying that her cat or her dog was inside, they would be the first people to run in and find it. Good people. One's a biker. One's a preacher. Both a heart of gold. Yeah, so that's the introduction of my life. I don't know if that would intrigue you, 
or make you turn the podcast off. Well, some of you may already have turned it off. But this is me. This is me trying to be a, a better person, trying to find myself again. This is me at 39 years old, trying to make a comeback. So, where does this journey begin? How does this journey take place? For me, it started at 19, when I was supposed to have a pretty tight hold on the world. (laughs) Tight hold on the world. (laughs) Well, I left home at 19. I had a car and some clothes. That was it. I was working on a part-time job at Chick-fil-A, <laughs> thinking that I was going to be able to make it. Yeah, I could barely stand on my own two feet, and mentally I was nowhere near stable. But hey, <clears throat> got to start somewhere, right? So let's go back to that occult. When I finally got out, one thing I realized was I didn't have the skills to deal with life. I didn't have the mental capacity to deal with what life could throw me. And when I left in 19, I spent probably four years just literally getting the shit kicked out of me by life. Struggling to make my payments on the apartments. (laughs) Struggling to find myself mentally, that even at that point, sexually, that was never discussed in our house, you know, sex was the big uh, demon monster that no one talked about, I mean, until you got married, then of course the goal was to have as many kids as possible, I mean, you had to feed the occult more, more bodies, right? Looking back, It's never an easy road to the top. In fact, it's even a farther road to the bottom. And that's if you even know where the top is or how far down the bottom goes. I had a few very good, decent influences in my life because when I left home, I didn't just leave home. I left my family. You see, when you leave out of a place like that, it's recommended that they cut off all contact with you because, well, they don't want you tainting the rest of the kids. They don't want you tainting the rest of the people in the family. And really what they mean is they don't want you to possibly talk them into thinking for themselves and forming their own opinions because the opinions were given to you. The opinions, well, you were told what you were doing and where you were going. So the ability to think on your own not encouraged (laughs) the ability to become a person an individual no you weren't an individual you were part of a collective and thinking on your own no 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 no. we'll tell you how to think and we'll even tell you when to think it this was what i was raised through but thank god i had a friend at the time in fact i consider him my best friend today Him and his family would always make sure I had a meal, you know. Always make sure if I needed a place to crash, 
of course I could I could sleep on the on the, at their place and uh, in those early days, yeah. Well, my buddy's name was David, and his mom's name was Sandy, and they had their own unique circumstances in life, but Sandy, yeah, Sandy was great. Sandy kind of became that second mom to me. Sandy never really agreed with a lot of what I did, but she never really condemned it either. She knew I was lost, and she knew that as long as I had a meal when I was hungry and as long as I knew there was a place for me to go that I'd do alright so not that I ever think Sandy would hear this but if you do when you're listening thank you you have no idea what that meant to me back then and you have no idea how that helped shape me for who I am now so at 19 cut off from not only my biological family but I was cut off from anyone I ever knew you see all of my friends were tied to the occult and I was one of the first ones to walk out to leave it over the years I've come to find out almost everyone I knew has left In the end, that's encouraging to me. That other people began to think for themselves. And I'm not going to say that I started to leave the cult movement. (laughs) I'm not that naive. They were just in the same boat I was in. And eventually, they all started waking up. Eventually, they all started thinking for themselves. And that was on them. And I'm proud of them. Each and every one of them. We all had our own struggles. I've reconnected with a few of them. I've reconnected and talked to several of them about their stories. But those are their stories. And this one's mine. At 19, I had a small apartment. I was sleeping on the floor. My first paycheck went to a TV and a PlayStation. (laughs) Why, you ask? Well, it kept my mind busy. It kept me at a point of sanity to keep going the next day yeah I was fighting to keep my sanity at that point I didn't know who I was I didn't know where I wanted to be my grandpa said that pro wrestlers and bodybuilders were real men and well I was neither one of those but my grandma on my mom's side remember that tough woman the one that most everybody was afraid of if not they respected beyond all belief well she was a pro wrestler fan and I don't mean maybe or she watched it occasionally I mean every Saturday morning watching wrestling yeah this was back when it was on once a week on Saturday mornings she would hit the local arenas for the shows I mean, Grandma was a fanatical wrestling fan. And we kind of connected there. And years later, after I got out of the occult, I revisited the wrestling arena. Man, there was so much about those wrestlers I wish I was. The charisma, 
It was never about the strength or the physique. It was, it was the attitude. It was the, I have my way of doing things and screw you if you stand in my way. The ability to take a crowd and bring them to their feet with a microphone and start chants. It was, that was what was drawn for me. Man, I remember there was some young kid who just started the wrestling kind of circuit at the time. Wasn't too long into it. His name was Rocky. (laughs) Rocky. Rocky would later become known as The Rock, one of the greatest sports entertainers of all time. Man, was that guy good. Holy crap. The way he could just walk in the ring and stand there. Pick a mic up. Not even bring it to his face. And the crowd just erupt in roars and cheers. The man hadn't said anything yet. That's what I wanted. That's the kind of charisma I longed for. What set me apart from them? Well, at the time, I didn't realize that mentally I wasn't able to do that. You see, at a deep down core, I believed I sucked as a person. I not just sucked as a person, but I sucked as a human being. And these guys, well, they didn't suck. They were awesome. They were amazing. That's what I wanted to be like. So 19, it led me to my very first god-awful sin. (laughs) A tattoo. Yeah. My grandmother, well, rest her soul, she'd been passed away for many years at the time. I needed something that was going to give me a sense of purpose, but I also wanted to honor her as well. So what did I get? (laughs) I got the same Brahma bull that was tattooed on the rock's shoulder. (laughs) You know, imitation is the highest form of flattery. (laughs) I guess that's what I was going for. It's, uh, looking back now, it's still my favorite tattoo. Even though I've had many more over the years, God, that one means the most to me. Not only just because it's my first, but... Because of what it really means to me now. It reminds me of my grandmother. It reminds me of that insecure 19-year-old kid who didn't have a clue what he was doing. And I say that like I have a strong sense of direction now. I don't. But I honestly believe that I have a better outlook on my life now than I ever did before. Well... I guess that's just the introduction. Um, If you stay till the end, thank you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Because this journey is about to get crazy. It really didn't start off till I was 19. And everything I went through up until that point. And honestly, it didn't really jump out and really start until about three years ago. When I decided to get help. And that's where I'm going to start my story next time. The first day I left my therapist's office. The first day I had a sense of what I was doing and where I was going. 
The first time I decided that I was going to find Matthew. Thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to leave you with one final thought. No matter what, you got to be yourself. And why might you ask? And not only why, but you might look at yourself and be like, well, of course I'm myself. But no. Truly be yourself. Everybody else is already taken. Only you can be yourself and be that unique person you were supposed to be. So go out there and crush it like a ledge. Because you really are. Until next time.